Hi friends, I'm Ricky and I'm a junior here at UNC, communication studies major with a minor in cognitive science. Hey guys, my <laughs> name is Abby Murray and I am a senior here at UNC. I'm getting my degree in exercise and sports science and African-American studies. And things that I just consider to be central to my identity are one, being a phenomenal big sister, two, being a very transparent and loyal friend, and three, being a loving and supportive girlfriend. And, and this, this is, is Woman to Woman, a gender leadership podcast. With us in the studio today, we have the other members of our podcast team, Karami, who is our editor and one of our producers, and Kamisha, our marketing director and our other producer. Hey, I'm Karami. <laughs> I'm Kamisha. I'm a communication studies major as well. And I'm a psychology major minoring in Hispanic studies and education. This is our first podcast, y'all. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> our very first episode. We're all students here at UNC who are members of a group called the Women of Worth Initiative. Women of Worth is just like an organization for women of color. In that part, women of color can extend to people who consider themselves to be a part of any underrepresented racial or ethnic group. For me, it's just become a space for like networking and academic achievement, for like personal growth and development. So in 2016, the American Association for University Women released a report called Barriers and Bias, the Status of Women in Leadership. And this report asked the question, what is the gender leadership gap? What explains it? What strategies have already helped narrow the leadership gap? And what can we do about it now? It's important to point out that the report focuses on positional leaders, people who occupy positions of power that are recognized and rewarded in observable ways. But it doesn't mean that other types of leadership are less important. So I have a few stats that I'd like to bring up. So in 2015, only 5% of the companies in the Standard & Poor's 500 Index had female chief executive officers. And that's in 2015, guys. In the nonprofit sector, women are more likely to be in leadership positions, but they remain underrepresented. For example, in a 2015 Massachusetts study, only 21 out of 151 nonprofit organizations had boards with at least 50% women. And fewer than 3% of board directors at Fortune 500 companies are women of color. So what do you guys think about these numbers that were just thrown out at you? So like the 3%, the 5%, and like 21 out of 151 organizations. I just keep saying like, we're gonna graduate soon and be in the workforce and everything. If this is in 2015, imagine what it's going to be like in 2020. Even though it's at not even double-digit numbers, it's not going to be anywhere near half. So it's hard to kind of visualize doing all that I can and still not getting what I deserve. Mm -hmm. I know for me personally, 3% is very low. And yeah. I just feel like for the amount of women who are coming out with degrees and these mm -hmm. skills, that's not a good representation and nowhere near where it should be. I couldn't imagine having to speak to like a an organization's board and not see more women than males, just given just how regular population right. is. And something that I noticed about all these points is this, it says like female chief executive officers, but it's still not specifically noting women of color. We're still not represented even in these small percentages. And I just feel like just how disheartening 
seeing these stats and hearing about them are like that just goes to show like this is something that's very important and something that needs to be discussed and the gender leadership mm -hmm. gap is something that we should all be invested in and it's something that we should do be doing our research on so that we can combat it and that we can come up with solutions in order to have the women of color represented mm -hmm. in these companies so on a more positive note it's important to mention that according to the Washington Post, women of color now represent 42% of the house, wow. which is on par with the okay. percentage of among women in the general population. So some of the new women of color in Congress are actually our first Native American woman, first Muslim, the youngest woman ever elected to Congress, Connecticut's first black congresswoman, Massachusetts' first black congresswoman, and Texas' first Latina congresswoman. Some of these things are really interesting because we see a lot of firsts in there. Uh, yeah. And it just makes me think, wow, like Congress has been, it's been an essential part of our government for right. a long time. And we see all these firsts in 2018 was when all of them were elected. It's really good progress, though, even though like it is kind of disheartening it's to see like down the, the first <laughs> so long. So why do y'all actually think like this is important for all these firsts to be in Congress right now? I know for one having these women in Congress, it kind of opens up that door mm -hmm. for younger people to look mm -hmm. and say, mm -hmm. that's still a possibility. That's an option for me to go into like politics and everything. Because a lot of people don't even consider that by having like leaders like that, we are able to be more focused in order to change some of the ways that our society is. Yeah, Kamisha, I definitely agree with you because I feel like representation really does matter. And I just feel like for me coming up, it was always like I saw the teachers, the nurses, those are typical roles of women. So to see that you can be in Congress and you can be at the top of the chain, it's just something that's awesome to see. I feel like I heard slim to no girls saying, oh, I want to be president when I grow up. Mm -hmm. It's like that wasn't a thing. There was only the white man until Obama and then it reverted. Sadly. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think I don't think I ever considered being a governor mm -hmm. or anything like that because I was just like, yeah, like how serious am I going to be taken if I right. were to go into one of those roles? Mm -hmm. But also that just speaks to like the diversity and the strength of women in general, because I just feel like they know they're going into this space that has been a predominantly male dominated mm -hmm. space. So just for them to even want to go into that space and to like upset things and shake it up. I love it. And I just feel like that's a very important thing to like continue doing and perpetuating mm -hmm. as we're all about to go into the workforce and things like that. And there's oftentimes women just aren't confident enough to go for these positions. It's like I'm not trying to be the first. I'm not trying to be the trailblazer. Mm -hmm. so the fact that all these women did it, were committed, and now there's so many holding all these positions in Congress is just like amazing to mm -hmm. me. So why do y'all actually think that women are less likely than men to be considered as leaders? I guess it has to do with um, stereotypes and societal standards, especially going back to like the 1950s, men were seen as a dominant and like you would see all these advertisements that were catered to women and mm -hmm. it was advertisements that would um, showcase women as very dainty and pure. Mm -hmm. And if you're dainty and pure, I guess, in <laughs> those mindsets, you can't be seen as a leader. Mm -hmm. Like you have to be dominant and superior in order mm -hmm. to take leadership and to take hold. So I guess it just goes back to perpetuating like all these different standards that society has thrown on us for mm -hmm. as long as I can remember. Mm -hmm. 
and they don't make it easy for you to try to go outside of these roles. If you're too invested, it's still seen as doing too much. Mm -hmm. Nobody's going to like that. And it's like, well, when a man does it, he's just a strong leader. Yeah, Ricky, I definitely agree. It's important to highlight that double standard of like these attributes and skills that men and women both bring to the table, but how it's seen sometimes negatively if it's a woman who's doing it. And it's important to highlight that women aren't necessarily not qualified for these positions. And it's just like that perpetuation of the stereotype and this like ingrained and intertwined level of like misogyny within these companies that's allowing for men to constantly beat out women for these positions, even though they may be more qualified than the male counterpart. I also think that the emotional stability of women is always brought to the table as Mm -hmm. being something that makes women less likely to take up a career in something like being a scientist or Mm -hmm. doing something other than teaching or psychology, which is what I'm majoring in. This episode is sponsored by the American Association of University Women, the nation's leading voice promoting equity and education for women and girls. Since their founding in 1881, AAUW members have examined and taken positions on the fundamental issues of the day, educational, social, economic, and political. Thank you, AAUW. So now that we've got our feet wet a little bit with the gender leadership gap, our executive producer, Erica Wallace, had the opportunity to talk with Dr. Catherine Hill, who worked on the Barriers and Bias Report. So the next voice that you're going to hear is Erica's, uh, along with Dr. Hill, and you'll hear their insight on it. So I know that you were the former vice president for research for AUW. What is your Mm -hmm. role now? Yes, I am now the executive director of the Women's Legislative Caucus in the Maryland General Assembly. So the caucus is a group of 72 women legislators, which is an all-time high for Maryland. And my role is to review and develop and research legislation that has special impacts on women and on gender issues. We also encourage women to run for political office. Awesome. Um, So for the podcast, what we decided to do to kind of start off with each of our guests is ask them what we call the three W's. So who are you? What do you do? And Mm -hmm. why do you do it? So I know you already talked about kind of the work that you do. So for the first question, you can definitely expand on kind of who you are even outside of of the work. Wonderful. Well, I love making a difference. I like to do research that has a really direct impact on people. I grew up in upstate New York. I like to say I grew up at Cornell. I was fortunate enough to go with almost no cost, which at the time I had no idea what a privilege that was. Yeah. And now looking back, it's like, oh my goodness. So I had a, a really fortunate upbringing. I have spent a big part of my life looking at gender issues and also looking at questions of racial inequality. And work I try to do at AAUW was trying to bring those together so that we aren't looking at pieces of people, but looking at people in their real life worlds and in their histories. So that's something I've really worked on a great deal. And most recently, after leaving AUW, I decided I had had enough of national politics uh, after the 2016 elections. I decided I wanted to go to the state level because I really think for the next couple of years, we're really going to see a lot of progress being made at the state. For now, states are the place to be. 
So the report, Barriers and Bias, the Status of Women in Leadership, was published in 2016. And that's really mm-hmm. cool um, because that is also the year that we started the Women of Worth Initiative. So I was, again, another reason why I was really, really excited that we can kind of bring those two together. Going back mm-hmm. to the beginning, why was it important for, for you and for AUW to do this research? That's a great question. In fact, we started with the second part of the title, the status of women in leadership. There are an enormous numbers of journal articles and books and podcasts and social media, and there's a great deal of material on leadership. A big part of that is about helping women become leaders. There's an enormous amount of sort of self-help literature, and there was much less said about the context and specifically the barriers and biases that women face. Another part of the puzzle that was really missing, and this is a pretty large one, and I think it sounds like something that the women of worth will find resonates with the work they're doing. Much of the research and writing is about white women in leadership. Women of color are simply not included and their experiences tend to be obfuscated by the experiences of white women as the majority. So one thing we tried to do was to drill down and try to say more about both the experiences of women of color. We also tried to really look at it, not in terms of what women could do better, but what society and what all of us can do better in terms of how we think about leadership and how we think about women and leadership. Right. Yeah, that's so important. So for those who may not know or who may not have ever heard of the term, what is the gender leadership gap in a nutshell? Leadership gap is at the top. We found that women are succeeding in so many roles and that's in law and in medicine and in business. So there's really a lot to celebrate and there's a lot to celebrate for all groups of women, actually. If we look at the last 50 years, we've seen lots of really good progress. What we have not seen is women at the very top. For example, in terms of politics, we found that women were about 20% of Congress. And as you know, this was the quote-unquote year of the woman. But even with all the gains that were made, we're still at 22%. So there have been great gains, and that's all wonderful, but 22% is really far away from 50%. At the top levels, in terms of executives, in terms of politics, and, and in terms of business, we see at the very top, women are not present. That's where a lot of major decisions are made, and that's frankly where a lot of financial decisions are made. I do want to clarify that we're not saying that's the most important kind of leadership. In fact, we're trying to say the opposite of that. Women are leaders at all levels of the community. We want to celebrate that. But our report wanted to look at these really positions of privilege mm-hmm. um, and take a look at how those have been occupied. Right. So what were some of the things that you you all found that explains why this gender leadership gap exists? We found that there is something we call implicit bias, which I'm sure you probably have heard about before. Yeah. But it's essentially how we think subconsciously, the kinds of thoughts that go on in the back of our heads while we're making decisions. Those stereotypes tend to inform our decision-making, and specifically, there's stereotypes around leadership. So that assertiveness and that sense of power and authority is really something that we associate with masculinity that puts many women at a disadvantage. Even some really simple things like we found in the research that people like male voices when they think of a leader. 
People tend to vote for politicians who are taller. These are all things that are physically more likely that men are going to be taller and bigger and have deeper voices than women. So they're at a disadvantage from the get-go. Right. And I think that's interesting because I've known like even women who kind of do embody those characteristics, it works against them. So they're labeled aggressive um, and it's not seen as as good for a woman to have those masculine characteristics um, as a leader. That's right. That's absolutely right. And that's something that we also see with people of color, that the stereotypes of a leadership roles is often is white. And so there's a an automatic, implicit bias that politicians of color face sort of automatically. And it's actually not just, of course, in politics, it's really throughout our lives. And I'll actually just add, you know, we did all this work on the implicit biases and these sort of subtle biases. But frankly, in the last two years, we've seen this resurgence of over, you know, just really extreme forms of bias and prejudice that are drive this in a whole different way and at a whole different level. So I think there's been a real crisis in how we are having to reestablish a sense of civil rights in this country. So it's not always, it hasn't been quite as subtle recently. It's, it's really quite overt. You know, one thing that's interesting is even within women's fields, teaching, for example, right. there are very few of the superintendents. Yeah. And that's actually especially true for black women. There are many black women who are succeeding as teachers and being very successful in the fields, but we see far fewer of them in these upper level management positions and becoming superintendents. It's interesting that you bring up education because I also see it like in the higher education sphere. I have my degree in student affairs. Most of my cohort was women. Um, but when I look around me on my campus with the faculty, that leadership, um, our chancellor just resigned, but she was the, the first woman chancellor in our history and went through a lot, which is part of the reason why she resigned. But yeah, it's just just mm-hmm. so interesting. And I think nationally, there are only 30% of college presidents are women. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's absolutely right. And when we look at some of the bigger and more well-endowed universities and colleges, we see even more, more male leadership and more white leadership. Yeah, it's like you can only go so far. You know, and this again is getting back to that first point I wanted to make. There's really nothing wrong with women. Women are doing what they need to do. They're getting the degrees. They're getting the skills. They're in the workforce for longer time. And they are asserting themselves and negotiating well. But what's happening is they're running up against these biases. Mm-hmm. And especially around leadership and at these high levels of leadership where there's a lot of money at stake mm-hmm. and there's a lot of power. So to kind of connect that to like real life, how has the, the gender leadership gap impacted you and your experiences in the workplace or in academia? Ooh, that's a wonderful question. I've been aware of the fact that I often come to a male authority leader when it comes to money decisions, mm-hmm. whether it's the head of the department, whether it's the uh, final person who makes the decision about a job. And I certainly have seen that in politics. In my work today, I see that women really struggle to get heard in politics, to be listened to. We had a have, uh, the Speaker of the House here in Maryland at one point referred to some of the female delegates as young ladies. And it was very meant in an affectionate way, but it is not a term of respect. Right. It's something that is changing, but I think we're still seeing a lot of uh, resistance 
to how we think about femininity and masculinity. And I think you mentioned this earlier, that women who do take on, you know, what we see as kind of whatever, masculine behavior mm-hmm. can be penalized because they're breaking gender norms. Right. And that's something that women of color have often faced, which is they don't fall into the stereotype of the delicate, fragile female, which has been associated historically with white women. They're sort of more expected to be strong, but there's also a backlash against that strength and against this notion of being strong. And that's something that, that they have to struggle with. The stereotypes that we face as women are unique to the different historical backgrounds and ethnic backgrounds and racial backgrounds that we come from. Yeah. And I think that's one of the best arguments for, for trying to think about these issues in a really more complex way. Right. And I'm really happy to hear about the work that you all are doing. And I love the expression of uh, women of worth. I think women themselves don't often know their own worth. And, yeah. um, and it's, it's important that especially girls of color are becoming aware of how wonderful and brilliant and beautiful they are so that they at least can cannot be imposing those stereotypes on themselves. And then what all the rest of us need to do is make sure that those stereotypes and that kind of prejudice is on its way out as we struggle with it in our workplaces and homes and in society. So to go off of my love for metaphors, um, if, mm-hmm. the, if the gender leadership gap was a disease, what would be some of its symptoms? <laughs> How does it like show up in the world, in women's lives? What are, are the effects of the gender leadership gap? Mm, that's a wonderful question. On a personal level among women, I think we see a lot of insecurity. We see that women are harder on themselves in terms of their grades. They're less confident and in so doing actually can undermine their own performance. One of the things that I had to stop myself from doing was apologizing all the time. Yeah. And what we see is so many of us apologize when there really isn't anything to apologize about. If someone, if you do something intentionally, it hurts someone, of course you apologize. But, mm-hmm. you know, brushing up against somebody in the hallway, it's no reason to say you're sorry. It's, uh, right. it's, it's self-evident it's that you didn't mean to do that. I've really struggled to not apologize as much, and I've encouraged other women not to do that. I think that there's a lot of silences that happen because we are struggling with our stereotypes about leadership and our lack of recognition of leadership in positions of authority, silences in the rooms where the decisions are being made. I'd love to hear more voices. On a personal level, I think women and people of color are silencing themselves when they really don't have to. So maybe it's a disease of the of the vocal system uh-huh. <laughs> and, uh-huh. and of the heart and maybe a little bit of our brain. So it's, yeah. it's something that's ubiquitous. It can be cured, and I think it is contagious. So if one of us is apologizing too much, it tends to be that everyone starts to feel that way. And when one woman speaks up and takes a leadership position, then others start to do the same. So I I do think it's contagious both as something positive where we can help each other. And then also on the other end, we can be hurting our community by feeling that insecurity and spreading those feelings of inadequacy. Were there any of the, the findings or the statistics from the report that really stood out to you? I found the statistics around the executive positions to be really interesting because that's where we saw a really large gap between white women and women of color. When we look at sort of the very top levels, we see just a few percentage of those who are, say, the 
the CEOs, the chief financial officers, the, um, I guess it's called the C-suite sometimes. Mm-hmm. At that level, it's almost entirely male. And what's interesting is that we see very, very few um, women of color. And you um, probably aware of like the Fortune 500 yes. and the Forbes 500 wealthiest individuals. Well, we only have a handful. We always have Oprah Winfrey, but we don't yeah. have a whole lot of other women who are able to play those leadership roles. And it's important not simply for their own well-being, but because they can be leaders, they can also really help shape the world in a way that most of us don't have that kind of privilege. So right. that's why we need diversity at all levels. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So at the end of the day, no matter who you are, whether you're a woman, um, person of color, white woman, woman of color, a man, why should people care about the Mm -hmm. gender leadership gap and, you know, working towards eradicating it? Well, of course, it's the issue of fairness. But I think the issue that really could drive all of us is that greater diversity leads to better outcomes. One um, study that I liked was a study that looked at outcomes for teams of workers and compared them to sort of the work of a lone genius. What, of course, they find is that teams of people, smart people, can come up with better outcomes than these uh, individual quote-unquote geniuses. And I think this is actually an important finding, not about just finding these, you know, remarkable people, it's really more about finding a good team finding different perspectives, different skills, and bringing those people together. We're also finding that, and many companies have already acknowledged this, that having diversity helps companies figure out what kinds of products they need to have. It helps them just work better and be more effective. So we're seeing companies who are um, more diverse are being more profitable. So I like to think that we're going to become a more diverse and a more inclusive society because it's the right thing to do. But it's more likely that, in fact, we'll be doing that simply because it's the more productive thing to do. So it's actually a win-win. Yeah. It's both productive and really the right thing to do. So I, I think that's really what is wrong with the leadership gap is that it creates a silence. It, it silences many voices in these really critical decision-making roles. It also mentioned that it's hard on men in many ways because they feel that they must be leaders in all cases. They must have these very high-powered positions if they want to be fathers and they want to be primary caregivers or be very involved with their family. They can be penalized for doing so, and it's seen as not masculine. Right. That being said, I think it's important that we understand privilege, we understand the role of these privileges in these decision-making roles, and recognize that we need to broaden and make these more inclusive. And in so doing, we're going to come up with a lot of better ideas, new ideas. I can give you one example, actually. You know, the cars that you can start with a button rather than a key? Yes. Well, those were actually designed by women engineers. Oh, um, yeah. And yeah, because they uh, were aware of the fact that, you know, somebody that they're carrying eight things at once and don't want to go searching for the keys. So that was just an interesting finding. So there are really a lot of ways in which just having different voices in the room can make a difference. In fact, actually voice activated and facial recognition software did not originally work well for women or for people of color. That's one of the reasons we need to make sure we have everyone in the room. So there are a lot of faces and there are a lot of voices. Right. So to close this out, why is addressing the gender leadership gap important to you? I like to think of myself as a leader in the women's movement. I've been working in the women's movement for a long time. 
And by leader, I'm not saying that I'm especially important or I'm especially knowledgeable. I'm thinking of leadership maybe in a more nuanced way. It's about sharing my knowledge and my experiences with young people, helping mentor young people and learning from them uh, about their experiences with leadership. I'd like to find a way to be a leader that is based on listening and communicating together. I think that feminism has often struggled, feminists have often struggled with how do we talk about leadership because we really have strong feelings of equality and recognizing, you know, the equality of all people. So I think that sort of forging a new way of thinking about leadership is really important to me. It's important to me that we kind of get in the room for these really big decisions. And I'm thinking especially online. I mean, I see the world online very narrow in terms of how it's designed. And I hope to see the online world, you know, become more diverse, become more friendly to uh, women. Okay, and for our second guest, Karami and I had the chance to talk to one of the women of color in leadership on our campus, Dr. Bettina Schubert, who's also the Associate Vice Chancellor for Student Affairs. Today we have with us in the studio Dr. Bettina Schubert, Associate Vice Chancellor of Student Affairs here at UNC. Thank you for being here today. You're welcome. My pleasure to be here. So we start each interview by asking our guests the three W's. So who are you? What do you do? And why do you do it? Well, who I am as a university administrator, professional, but I'm also a sister, an aunt, community volunteer, uh, very active in the community. So I'll do a lot of things beyond just what I do on, on mm-hmm. campus, but also see the work that I do as part of my mission in life or my calling mm-hmm. is to be able to give back to people and help them be successful and to be able to be their best self. People reached out to me to help me get along and move forward. I think it's my responsibility to give back as well. Thank you for that. So what would you say are some of the biggest challenges you face as being a woman of color and leadership? I have to be honest, I haven't had a lot of huge challenges. And that's a good thing. Uh, yes. <laughs> and, um, I think I've been very fortunate that I've had very supportive people throughout my career who've encouraged me to not get stuck in mm-hmm. roles or positions because they saw the potential that I have as a leader. And so I listened to those people. You know, some of it is just my own willingness to do more and mm-hmm. be better and to be my best self, but also got a lot of encouragement to do that. I think maybe some of the barriers may be more internal to me as mm-hmm. opposed to external barriers. And uh, I think I did okay for myself. Yeah, support is always key. And with the Women of Work Initiative, we try to create a community of support on our campus. Mm-hmm. So we learned that the gender leadership gap exists in higher education as it does for many other fields. In 2016, 30% of college presidents were women. And in 2015, women only held 32% of the full professor positions at colleges and universities. So how do you define the gender leadership gap and what does it look like within student affairs? Student affairs as a profession is heavily based by women in Mm -hmm. in different leadership roles. Certainly, as we look at the number of women graduating from college, you know, women outnumber men in terms Mm -hmm. of graduation. At the graduate level, that's still the case. So women in entry-level positions and mid-management positions are pretty high. 
when you start seeing the gap as people progress, mm-hmm. part of it is just there are just less positions at the highest rate. You know, but some women, they either leave the profession to do other things mm-hmm. so they don't get the opportunity to move up. Or sometimes there are simply barriers that may exist that women don't have the opportunity to move up. And one of the things I have noticed is that women tend to move more slowly. Mm-hmm. Uh, it takes longer for them to move into these senior lead- leadership roles. Versus men, they don't have to worry about work-life balance or some other issues. Mm -hmm. It's that they're able to more focus on their career versus women look at many different things in terms of their community, you know, what is their family life situation. Sometimes they stop out of work, you know, if they're caring for children. It does impede their career progression, particularly for faculty members. You have so many years to get tenure. Mm -hmm. And that's also the time where many people are starting their families. You start a family, you take a gap in your research, like you're having to restart the clock. Mm-hmm. And so many universities don't have plans or support to find a balance for women. Even now, men are even taking family leave when they have families. And so universities have to have a structure in place that creates an environment where women or men are penalized if they stop out to take care of family or elderly parents. Mm-hmm. It's not just the individual themselves, but it's also the structural aspects of what's happening at the university that comes into play in terms of why people don't move up as quickly. So we've also did a good bit of research on women in higher education, and women of color are more likely to seek out higher education, but still don't believe that they're qualified enough for like their leadership positions. And there's an idea called the pipeline myth. And it basically states that there aren't enough qualified women for leadership positions. So what are your thoughts on this? That's something that I've encountered with the African-American Women's Summit that I work with, with my professional association, is that women tend to want to have as much experience Mm -hmm. as possible when they move into senior leadership roles. They look at a position description, and there may be one or two things that they don't have direct experience with. So they'll say, I'm not qualified, mm-hmm. but a man won't say that. They'll say, well, I've got transferable skills. I can do this. Or I've got networks who can support me if I have questions about how to do this job. I, I know I can call people to get the support that I need. Mm-hmm. But women hold themselves back sometimes because they mm-hmm. just want to keep getting additional experience, mm-hmm. additional experience. Never stop learning. <laughs> exactly. Until they've done everything that the job requires, mm-hmm. not recognizing that all of us learn on the job. Mm-hmm. None of us come in knowing how to do every single thing. One of the things we try to work on with the African-American Women's Summit is that you have transferable skills which you can use when you do have a gap in experience. It's the skill sets that matter. It doesn't mean that you have to actually have done something specific, but at least have some familiarity mm-hmm. and the skills to be able to do the job. I also agree with that because I'm currently looking for internships and on the applications and requirements, they have specific skills and experiences that they want you to have. And I don't have any internship experiences. So I try to think of all the clubs that I've been in and all of my leadership skills that I could add and use those as transferable skills onto my applications. A mistake I see a lot of people make is in the cover letter. In the cover letter, you need to talk about all the responsibilities Mm -hmm. that are in a position Mm -hmm. and talk about the transferable skills. If you don't have direct experience, Mm -hmm. that's where you bring that up and say, 
I have these skill sets from this experience mm-hmm. that I think will allow me to be successful in doing this type of position. But many people make the mistake and then they just talk about what they did. Mm-hmm. They don't talk about the skills that they learned and gained and how that could help them be successful mm-hmm. in the position in which they're applying for. So I guess, how can we also show these skills that we learn in like these leadership roles and make it translate to our lives after we graduate off of paper? That's a good question. It's certainly being able to apply those skills and being able to find a position Mm -hmm. or a career that's going to allow you to be able to use those skills. And sometimes we need a little assistance in helping Mm -hmm. helping us to get there. Many professional associations, uh, civic organizations, Mm -hmm. sororities provide these leadership opportunities Mm -hmm. that help you be able to fine-tune your leadership. So taking advantage of those types of situations, finding a a mentor Mm -hmm. or specifically a sponsor. And there's a difference between a mentor and a sponsor. Mm -hmm. So a mentor is sort of a semi-directional in that, you know, the mentor is there to help you think through process, Mm -hmm. how to navigate the the politics of the organization or institution that you're a part of. Mm -hmm. You know, they're there to give you some guidance, support, you know, a shoulder to cry on, (laughs) advice on how to be successful, Mm -hmm. things to think about versus a sponsor is a person who's in a key leadership role that has, yeah, it has the power and has the influence to help you be able to get a raise, to get mm-hmm. a promotion, to recommend you for positions. They put their reputation on the line when they recommend you mm-hmm. for positions. As someone who works with a sponsor, it's, it's your role to make the sponsor look good. Mm-hmm. So you have to be on task with mm-hmm. what you're doing and you have to do it really well. If I'm a sponsor and I recommend you and you don't do well, that makes me look bad. Yeah. It's transactional versus uh, in a mentor relationship. Sometimes a person can be a mentor and a sponsor, but they really do have very distinct roles. Enjoy the podcast? Have comments, questions, or concerns? Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at UNC Women of Worth. That's UNC, W-O-M-X-N, of Worth. We here at the Women of Worth Initiative create and sustain a community for women of color and women who identify as members of underrepresented racial and ethnic populations that will promote academic success, holistic student wellness and success, identity development, and sisterhood at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Go Hills! So I've never heard of the African-American Women's Summit. Could you tell us more about the work you do and the benefits that you've seen or heard about from the participants who have been a part of the summit? Of course, I love talking to the <laughs> African-American Women's Summit. I've been a part of the coordinating committee or planning committee since 2004. So mm-hmm. we have our conference coming up in March. So that'll be 15 years. That's exciting. Fun yeah. stuff. Our target group is really graduate, entry-level, and mid-level managers. Really, our goal is to help women move up professionally to become senior student affairs officers or to be faculty members within higher education. We have what we call sister circles. Mm-hmm. And so we have uh, discussions in small groups. We have presenters uh, either who are senior student affairs officers. Mm-hmm. Probably the last four or five years, we've brought in people who are presidents of universities or colleges and had a panel and they've talked about how they've moved up the the ladder. Many of them talk about it was never their career goal to be a college president Mm -hmm. or university president, but someone took them aside and said, you know, you need to think about this. You should apply for this. I think you're ready to do this. 
you know, I think that positive encouragement is, I think is something all women, or most women, I will say, need to hear because we don't always think of ourselves as leaders or mm-hmm. leading at that level, mm-hmm. uh, but it takes encouraging you to do that. We also talk about things that we need that will help us be successful mm-hmm. in our different roles in terms of credentialing the need, whether to get a P- PhD or not. So mm-hmm. it depends on what it is you want to do career-wise. But we try to encourage all participants to think about getting and pursuing their PhD. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also talk about publishing because mm-hmm. we need to tell our own stories. We don't need mm-hmm. other people writing about us Yes, we are, are writing about our students. We need mm-hmm. to be out there doing that research on our own. We talk about just navigating campus politics. We talk about work-life balance. That's probably the biggest issue Mm -hmm. that comes up, (laughs) up is how do you balance a job that's not eight to five or nine to five Mm -hmm. that goes well beyond five o'clock evening activities, programs, weekend activities. How do you balance that with your personal life? And then if you add children or Mm -hmm. a partner Mm -hmm. into that scenario, how do you get all that done? Mm -hmm. Probably one of the largest pre-conference sessions Mm -hmm. that NASPA has. And then there's a counterpart for the African-American males. And so at the end, our sessions, we come together as a group. Mm -hmm. So you've got 200 African-American males and women in the same room. It's just very powerful. The other thing that the summit helps is that, particularly for African-American women who work on predominantly white institutions, when there's no critical mass, it's very powerful for them when they come into the room, they see a room full of Black or African-American women. And many of them talk about that, is that they feel very isolated. They may be one person that comes from the African-American community in their apartment, Mm-hmm. They just don't have a lot of support from mm-hmm. other women of color. Mm-hmm. And so coming in that room gives them a source of support, just that visibility of seeing other women. Mm-hmm. And then being able to talk about, you know, the similar parallels of what they go through in the work setting. But whatever your goals are, we want to make sure that you have the support and that you can achieve whatever your goals are. I feel like that definitely like ties into our theme for last year. If you have to pave your own way, Like you have to look back and also see who you can help to get to where they want to be also. Mm -hmm. So I think that's always so important to have a mentor, have a sponsor. Mm -hmm. I feel there's so many times, especially for women of color, where it's like, okay, well, I'm by myself. I can't find my group because I didn't come in here with one. Mm -hmm. So it's so important for people to seek out help. And you have to surround yourself with people that are like you, but you also have to find people that are already where you want to be. Exactly. You know, because none of us have gotten to where we are by ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, this idea of pulling yourself up by your bootstraps just mm-hmm. doesn't exist. I mean, even in what you could call the good old boys network, it's a network. They know people mm-hmm. who help them to get into places. And so they've got those connections. So those are the things that we have to learn to do is, mm-hmm. is while you're in college, You've got your small group of people that you associate with, Mm -hmm. but you've got to associate with a lot of different people because Mm -hmm. you never know where they're going to end up, what positions of power they're going to have, what influence they have. They may know people that you need to meet in Mm -hmm. order to move up professionally. And so it's you have to make sure that you're not just limiting yourself Mm -hmm. while you're in in school or in college, Mm -hmm. is that your networks are pretty wide and broad. You never know who you're going to encounter or who's going to give you that good positive word or that recommendation to say, Mm -hmm. yes, I know that individual. I think she'll be a great person for that role or that job. Mm -hmm. Or who would they even know? Who are they connected to? And I would say even on your job, 
you know, things that you can do in terms of advancing your leadership is working with your supervisor, mm-hmm. you know, asking your supervisor, you know, what can you do? What things can you, opportunities can they provide to you to help you develop skills mm-hmm. that you might need for a future job or position, giving you some critical feedback on ways that you can improve and enhance your work. You know, those types of things are, are as, as important as, as having a mentor because mm-hmm. they work directly with you. They see, you know, your day-to-day work and mm-hmm. they can provide some input on how you might be able to enhance your skills and further develop those and give you the opportunities. I had a, uh, a boss at my last campus who's always bringing these opportunities yeah. to me, <laughs> which were great. You know, number one, it kept me at the institution for mm-hmm. a while because I never got bored. Mm-hmm. But it also prepared me for coming to this institution mm-hmm. because I had a broader set of skills and experiences that I would not have had otherwise. Mm-hmm. As a core group, we have to support each other. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not about always the mentor or the sponsor. How do we support each other as mm-hmm. women? And sometimes we get in the way of that as well. So to close us out, why do you think addressing the gender leadership gap is important to you? Well, I think it's important and I can't separate the intersection of race and gender because one, they both influence who I am. Mm-hmm. But I think certainly as a woman of color is that because they're not in leadership roles, mm-hmm. For so long, we've let other people make decisions for us Mm -hmm. and about us. I remember before I started my doctoral program, my uncle sat me down and said, you need to be at the table where Mm -hmm. decisions are being made. So you've got to go back to school and get your doctorate because without it, you don't have a seat at the table. Mm -hmm. It's critical is to have those perspectives, to have the lens, the voice that we bring to be able to make decisions whether it's policy, mm-hmm. what a, to reduce the barriers for students coming to campuses. If we're not there, it may or may not happen. Mm-hmm. So it's important for us to, to be in those roles to make sure that things continue, and that as we look at diversity and inclusion, that there's well representation at the table and that we're creating these environments where everybody feels welcome. Mm-hmm. They can see their place within the environment. There's a greater sense of belonging. Mm -hmm. whether it's at a university, within a corporation, uh, wherever the venue might be, Mm -hmm. is that everybody needs to be able to feel that they they belong and that they have a voice and a place at the organization. And we have to be at the table to make it happen. We've got to be there. Mm -hmm. If if we're not there, things don't happen or it takes longer to make it happen. So there's a lot of great content from today's podcast and the interviewees we had. We had Dr. Hill and Dr. Shuford. And one of the things that resonated with me the most was Dr. Shuford had said, leadership goes beyond your career and how are you giving back? And I just feel like a lot of times we don't even think about outside of ourselves with self-gain and how our self-advancement in the career that we're wanting to go into but like don't often take a step back to see how we're impacting the people behind us or the generations below us. There were people there for us, giving the advice and networking and all of that. So I feel like there has to be a time that we transition into that role. And I just feel like that's not usually talked about. So I really like that she brought that out. Yeah, I think that's a big thing to not only be in a career or be in a field, be in that position of leadership where you get to kind of call it shots, but it's also a big thing to be able to look back and 
see maybe like the youth that are coming up and trying to get into leadership roles themselves, they're also able to have some kind of person to look up to and admire. Because I mean, especially with a lot of us being first generation students, a lot of our parents can't really be that person that we can admire to get into a role that's higher up. Being able to have somebody, I think, like Dr. Shuford or Dr. Hill, for instance, those are great examples to look up to. And I think that's a big part of what both of them were emphasizing with their interviews, that they were talking about mentorship and the importance Mm -hmm. of reaching out to people and creating those networks, because things like that can go a long way. And just starting out, even like in your undergrad career, just making sure you establish those to help you out when you're in postgrad and even on in the future. And I think it's important that like we point out the difference between mentorship and what was the other one? Yeah. yeah, so it's like a mentor is somebody that you can go to, you can confide in, you can crawl on their shoulder, anything like that. But a sponsor is somebody that's like where you want to be or up higher. So it's like they can vouch for you. I believe Dr. Schubert also said like, but once you have somebody vouching for you, they're like putting their position on the role. It's kind of like I'm saying that you're good enough. So you have to perform like this. Like, I believe in you. So you really have to, like, believe in yourself and be the person that you know you can be. Mm-hmm. And so I thought that was really important. Yeah. And I feel like along with that, um, when you do have somebody else who is vouching for you and you feel like you're insecure or that your experiences or your skills aren't enough, it's important to realize that even though you don't have the skills in that specific mm-hmm. field, you have done something like maybe you've helped with volunteering or you've done something small, like you have some kind of experience that will translate into whatever role you're trying to get or trying to like work through. Mm -hmm. I know that goes along with something that Dr. Hill said. She was talking about how women aren't necessarily doing anything wrong when Mm -hmm. it comes to like the gender leadership gap. And it's like, because they're there, they're getting their degrees and they have the skills and things that are necessary to like succeed in the workforce places. It's just like they're constantly up against these biases, Mm -hmm. these stereotypes are being thrown against them. So I think it's just important to acknowledge that and that it's not something that necessarily women are doing. I think along with the stereotypes that she was mentioning, I thought it was pretty interesting about how there's this stereotype around leadership where Mm -hmm. it's very intimidating to women who are trying to get into a higher position and that it's associated like power and authority Mm -hmm. is more associated with men and masculinity Mm-hmm. That's I think it's very intimidating, especially when I'm looking at being a psychologist or mm-hmm. being a teacher. Right. And Dr. Schubert definitely pointed out how it's easy for people to get stuck where you are. Like if you're comfortable being at the same spot for two, three years or whatever, it, it's really easy to, I guess, get complacent and just kind of stay where you are without having to grow. Like you, you feel like you've learned a good amount. You're happy just where you are. But it's like you always need to progress. Mm-hmm. I also feel like there's just this like cutout of what leadership is and that's just not the case. It's like very diverse thing and it's like something that can take on many forms. So I feel like people are always trying to fit into this box of how they should lead or what their leadership should look like and that shouldn't be the case. I guess another interesting or point to make is um, in having like a mentor, you're able to have somebody that can kind of speak to you and say, you know, you can do this. You actually... Mm-hmm. You have the tools, like mm-hmm. you have the ability, you have the mindset to be able to do this. And sometimes that's good to have somebody to reassure mm-hmm. st- like the skills that you have. And it's just enough to not only 
do whatever it is that you're anticipating doing, but doing more than that as well. So for me, definitely a gym to take away is just being that person for other people. Because I know like in my career, I've had lots of people be that mentor or that sponsorship role. And I just feel like going forward and I'm about to graduate. So I feel like that's something that's important for me to leave for the next generation and be that person they can come to and be somebody who is like open and available and who wants to help other people. I think something that I took away from Dr. Shuford was basically find my transferable skills. So basically just things that I guess people see in me, but that I don't work up. So it's like, I know what I can do and what I'm able to do, but it's like, I still don't put it in place because I doubt myself. Mm-hmm. So I guess when I'm talking to my mentor or whoever, and they try to like tell me things that I'm good at and things that I could play up on, I guess kind of really take heed to that and see how it's going to work out for me. Um, I think one point that I took away from Dr. Hill was when she talked about how the gender leadership gap creates like a silence. So women basically are marginalized in their silence because they aren't able to achieve the same amount of, I guess, prosperity as men are because of the gap. And so just being able to find ways and find you like your groups, like Dr. Schubert was saying, to find people who can help you um, achieve these roles that you know, like you can achieve is just really important. So even though there is this silence and then there is this gap, it's always important to try and overcome it, even though it is difficult to do that mm-hmm. by yourself, especially. Um, I think a major point that I'm going to be taking from Dr. Shuford, um, is how she was mentioning that when we we're applying for jobs, we see that requirement list of skills. And usually, I mean, I'll, I'm one of those that will look at it and say, oh, yeah, no, that's not me. <laughs> Sorry. I wish it was me, but it's not me. Uh-huh. So... Um, I sometimes will have to go back and I'm like, being that I know that I don't have these skills, I'm going to work on these skills for however long it takes for me to feel comfortable enough to apply for it and say, I know I, I know I got this job. Like, I know this is definite. So thanks again to our guests, Dr. Catherine Hill and Dr. Bettina Shuford. This episode was produced by Ricky Head, Abby Murray, Kamisha Chalmers, and Karami Ba. And our executive producer is Erica Wallace. And today I'm going to leave you with a quote. And it says, time will not solve the gender leadership gap, action will. And that's a quote from the AAUW Barriers and Bias Report. So essentially, this is me calling y'all out now that y'all have been exposed to what the gender leadership gap is. And it's important to realize that the fight is going to start with us individually. So we have to do our part to ensure that we aren't perpetuating this injustice. So again, thank you for listening. Make sure you follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at UNC Women of Word. That is... U-N-C-W-O-M-X-N of Worth. Leave us a comment and let us know what you think about the episode. You can also visit our website at womenofworth.web.unc.edu and find additional information about this week's podcast. And make sure you subscribe and share our podcast on the gender leadership gap. Next week, we'll be talking about stereotypes and bias and why they matter when talking about leadership for women of color. And you won't want to miss it.